0: Our next guest is a man that um, I, I uh, had the honor of working with over the summer. I started producing records with my friend Josh Smith, um, and we've done about 10 projects. And when this gentleman uh, uh, said, hey, I want to do a, a blues album, would you guys be willing to produce it? I'm like, you had me at hello. And, and, and my, my, I said, but my fee is very steep. I, I work for two Diet Cokes. And um, to watch him sing and work and make music was something I'll never forget. And there are very few singers on the planet that are one-takers. And when I, we were recording this record um, that will be out next year, I really sat there and I said, you know, you need to savor these moments because this is what it was like when Otis Redding would sing in the studio, when B.B. King would sing in the studio, when Frank Sinatra would sing in the studio. They would just come in, they'd sing the whole song, top to bottom, and they're fucking singers. There's no Pro Tools, there's no auto-tune, they're real singers. And I'm gonna bring out a gentleman who I love deeply, who's, to me, a singer of a generation. So please welcome Mark Broussard. No. Thank you for doing this, Mark. By the way, great show last night. Thank you, sir. Had a blast. And um, so you're from Louisiana. I am. From yeah. The proud Louisiana. And um, I'm from upstate New York. And well, the first question I thought of this morning um, was, what is it? about the south that creates a sound that no other region in the the u.s or anywhere in the world creates because you know i'm there's nobody walking around going man i just can't get enough of that upstate new york soul (laughs) man you hear that shit from elmira that's fucking funky (laughs) You know what I mean? So what Man. is it about... I'm, I'm, just, I'm just asking for a friend. I'm just, what is it about the South that, that just generation after generation yields greatness? I,
1: I really honestly don't know. I think it has some combination of... Uh, it has to be some combination of slight inbreeding and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a heavy dose of spice. I'm not. I'm not sure. I have no idea.
0: Yeah. I mean. I mean. I always tell people like I was. You know. Like, like. Well, how did. How did you get so good at guitar at a young age? I said I live in upstate New York. It rains 300 days a year. <laughs> we didn't have any. I didn't have anything else to do. Plus, you have a, eight month winter. Um, but there's something about like the way you deliver a song. It's your pocket. The way you sing it. You own it. You you sing a song and. I can sing a song, but I don't sing a song. But you,
1: you know, you know what I mean. Nah, you, you don't sell yourself short, bro. You sing your ass off. Well,
0: thank you, thank you. But but you know, how do you approach? You you must approach it. I mean, when you write a song, you must approach it from a certain point of view. I'm,
1: I'm never. I've been singing since I'm five years old. Um, my my father found out I could sing. We watched Back to the Future one day, and I saw Michael J. Fox's character play Johnny B. Good with that beautiful cherry red ES-335. Mm-hmm. And my dad had one just like it. Right. And, and I just kept repeating the line over and over. Johnny'd be good. I couldn't read. He brought some lyrics home on a dot matrix printout, mm-hmm. taught me the lyrics. I memorized them in a little while. And he started playing and then he modulated on the second verse and I followed him. And right. he put me on stage that weekend. Yeah. So I always say that I, I, you know, I was on stage before I even had time to develop any kind of anxiety about being on stage. And honestly, man, it's it's something that has always just kind of flowed naturally. It's not something that I really have to think real hard about. Um, you know, in, in order to take ownership of a song, I just give it my all. I mean, I just kind of step into the role and 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 really try my best to con to deliver that lyric as 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 heartfelt as I possibly can.
0: You know, were you, were you formally trained as a, as, as a singer? Did you have to go to the la 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 la? I, it-
1: I did a fair amount of, of, of choir work, yes. Mm-hmm. I was in the, the, the show choir in high school. In fact, my wife, we met in high school and, and she was at freshman orientation and I was, I had my, my uh, sequins, blue royal, blue sequins vest with my white gloves on, doing my jazz hands. Yeah. And uh, needless to say, she didn't think I was straight. She had no idea. <laughs> she had no idea that she and I would be making out later on that afternoon. Right.
0: You had, you had game. You had
1: game and confidence. I mean, in a royal blue sequence vest and white gloves. You better you have better confidence. You better believe I have some game.
0: You, 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 have, you better have confidence. <laughs> um, a, a little side note, you know, about that scene in Back to the Future, because we all love that. You know, sure. it was like Michael J. Fox kicks over the basement. So, because the show <laughs> is called Live from Nerdville, here's here's one of the nerd facts. The movie is set in 1955. Michael J. Fox is playing an ES-345 Cherry Red that wasn't invented until 1958. You see that? (laughs) And my friend Norm from Norm's Rare Guitars, who rented the guitar to the movie production company, told him this inconvenient fact before he handed the guitar over, and they didn't care They didn't care. They
1: didn't care.
0: No. so that's one of the biggest well, they... continuity screw ups of all time <laughs> in movies but probably one of the most influential scenes because it's like oh my god somebody's shredding on a guitar and singing and it's like
1: it's, uh, it's unbelievable it, it was it was a hugely impactful moment for me uh and i think similarly so for my father um he, he i have two older brothers who hadn't at, at that point uh, or or this point hadn't shown any any affinity for for playing music, and so my dad was really excited when I came along and started singing, and he put, like I said, he put me to work immediately.
0: He's he's a legend in his own right as well.
1: He, he's a brilliant, brilliant guitar player and a, and a fantastic dad. Uh, I really wish he was here. I had I known that Tommy was going to be here, I'd have moved heaven and earth. Tommy Emmanuel is my father's all time favorite. Uh, so to share the stage yeah. on, on your show the other night with Tommy was. A real dream for me, man.
0: Yeah, he was in, the, he was in the, the, the Boogie Kings.
1: Yeah, so the Boogie Kings is sort of a revolving door of uh, players that had, had in, a, in a band since the 50s. And it, it's a dance hall band, you know. They, they dress up in the tuxedos with the tails and mm-hmm. they're doing blue-eyed soul. Yeah. Uh, and it was a real, real treat for me because there was a, a, a whole list of singers that would sing with that band that, would absolutely blow the doors off anybody. Uh, it, most of the guys that you'd ever hear, you know, and these are guys that never really could pull their heads out of their butts long enough to to actually go and do something outside of these dance hall weekend shows, you know, but uh, standing side stage, you know, I was my dad's roadie basically for, for a lot of that stuff. Yeah. And I got to stand side stage and watch these guys and my dad would whisper in my ear about, you know, some of the things that, that they might have missed, some of the opportunities that they might have missed. You know, one of the guys got called up to go front Chicago at some point, mm-hmm. And he walks into the manager's office and kicks his feet up on the guy's desk. <laughs> and these are lessons that my father would share with me. And, and luckily, they stuck with me. And, and I, I managed to keep my feet off of every oh, desk. You're, you're right. Yeah. yeah.
0: And that's the, that's the thing. It, it, for, for those out here and, and those listening to the show, your father's Ted Broussard. Yeah. And um, a member of the Louisiana Musicians Hall of Fame, right? which is, which is very cool. Um, we've all been in the game a long time, music business-wise. What have you found is your biggest challenge over the years? Um, kind of, you know, s- straddling the line of cre- being creative and just like, man, I just want to sing this shit. And then having to navigate through this hideous fucking business of yeah. music, you know?
1: The biggest challenge for me has always been uh, to, to play by the rules, to comply. My, I, I fired managers over the, their uh, too often usage of the phrase industry standard. Yeah, right. I, I would tell them like, you can't say that to me. The, the standards of this industry suck ass. Yeah. Stop saying those words right. to me. And uh, so I think ultimately, the most difficult thing for me, um, like I said, has just been to, to to stay in my lane and play by whatever rules that the industry wanted to set for me. And luckily, it's not been much of a hindrance. Right.
0: You know. And yeah, I mean, if I had a nickel for every every executive who told me that you know you've got to change your last name, got to sound more like this person, I was like, well, there's already that person. I'm, I'm like, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna, you know, they you know, you go to New York, you go to California, they're gonna say no, and then we we don't hear a single, we don't hear this, and you know, and then if you got, I mean, like, you know, Rocksteady and Home, they, they were big hits, and then, then you have to follow it up, and then it's like, then it's committee thinking, and yeah. it, it's just, it's just, it's set up for failure because of of who makes the decisions, non-musicians making decisions that are critical to a musician's career.
1: Well. I think the biggest challenge in that stuff too is, is the, the time, you know, you make an album and then they sit on it for like a year and a half or two years. By that point, I'm tired of those songs. I don't even want to play them anymore. Right. Right. You know what I mean, I'm ready to go on to the next thing. Right. So being independent in these last 11 years or so, uh, has just allowed me to be a lot more creative and a lot more, uh, prolific, um, Putting out putting out more music in the last 11 years than I did in you know in the first 10 for sure. Yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun, man. And you,
0: and you play you play by your own rules. I mean, like you used to be with the major labels, it's like, well, you you can't make a record this year. We have to wait 36 months. I'm like, where in the where yeah. in the book does it say that? Well, you, you gotta
1: know? I, you know they they have to fit it in their promo window, right? I, I can't stack it up next to the big names on the label because yeah. they they need priority. They need promo priority and. Uh, just i didn 't like playing those rules
0: I, I knew my major label career was over before it even began before yeah. my first solo album was even released because they used to have these trade magazines remember r and r album network sure. you knew your your le- your pecking order and your your level of priority at in my case with Sony Music about how big the ad was if you had a full page ad, you had the, the support of the of of the, of the executives and 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 you were going to be the next big thing at radio. My ad for A New Day Yesterday was the size of a quarter, okay? It was a little square going, and some kid from upstate New York got a record deal. And, and it was like, I knew it was over, and we were dropped like five weeks later.
1: You know, and, and then I, I asked to be let go. Right. I, I said, can you please let me off this label? Because I made a, I made a follow-up. I made my sophomore effort after I put out a, a, what was a decent freshman outing. And by that point, the label had changed uh, uh, executive structure, and the new executive just didn't like the record. And I said, let me off the label. Please let me go. I have friends of mine that were blown away by that. They, right. were, they were like, you asked to be off the label? Who does that? And I said, I, I just needed to go to work, man. Yeah, yeah. You, know? I, you were on an island, right? I was on Island Def Jam at 20, and I really did. I signed a deal, a, I basically said, here's the gravy train. This is the one that runs all day and all night and I've, I've got a ticket to ride. Right. Uh, I thought that I was going to be, I was delusional to think that I was going to be bigger than Michael Jackson. I really did. I thought I would be the biggest star on planet earth. And then a few years later, I saw Prince live and I realized I was never going to be that good. <laughs> yeah. Ever. That was the title of my
0: first single for my Sony record was I want to be bigger than Michael Jackson. It didn't work (laughs) Um, Talk to me about um,
1: uh, Save our souls. So when I went independent I Basically I I, I Had this revenue stream that I was attached to prior to going independent these record revenues that I never saw Mm -hmm. because of the calculus of how a record deal works. I just never saw this revenue stream. And so thus never relied on that revenue stream for my family's needs. And so when I went independent, all of a sudden this revenue stream is coming my way now and I decided this music used to keep the lights on in office buildings in New York and Los Angeles. Now we should try to use this revenue to keep the lights on for folks that really need it. And so we made uh, an SOS Soul Covers album and raise some money for some homeless women and children, um, uh, an organization out of Atlanta called City of Refuge. And it worked like a charm. It was uh, That was the intention. And then all of a sudden, these wonderful unintended benefits poured out of that effort. Um, the the press loved the effort. Um, there, there was just so much that came out of it that it was a no-brainer for me and my management team to continue doing it. And so. We've now done three of these records, the fourth coming right. the next January, hopefully. Um and it's a dream. I get to I get to A, I get more time between original records while still having an album to release. B, I get to sing some of the my favorite music right. of all time uh and introduce a whole new generation of fans to some of the best music that's ever been made. It's I don't know, man. I think that once I, once we started doing the SOS stuff, I really found my purpose in this life and, and, uh, we've managed to do some real, real good work. Yeah. And so thank you for being, being a part of this effort, man.
0: Man. (laughs) You know, I mean, it's, 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 it was funny because we did, did your, uh, we helped Produce your record in uh, June, and you know under the under the, the the you know SOS banner, and it and it, and it honestly being in the studio with you, it saved my soul. I'm like, going, awesome. this is it. It it's because it's like when you're making music for the right reasons with the the right musicians. Sure the right songs for a great cause. It's like, how can you not just lo- pinch yourself and go, you know, I'm a really lucky SOB, you know, to be... I beat- felt that way the
1: whole time we were there. Yeah. You know, Joe, Joe picked one of the greatest studios of all time to record at Sunset Sound. I had never been there. And, uh, you know, you're walking through this place and they got they got platinum albums from everybody, from Dan Fogelberg to Led Zeppelin to yeah. Prince to... Uh, to be able to to make music with you in that space was was a highlight for me, man. Yeah, a real it was. Dream.
0: It was you know, it was great. It was just, it was just for the right reasons, and, and um, you know, I'm I'm excited for every, all all you guys to hear it because it's 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 slamming. It's a slamming blues record. I can't wait for it to come. Yeah, man. yeah. So um, you have tour plans? Uh, tell the folks because it's going to be on radio. Tell the folks where you're touring this tour. We're,
1: we're touring constantly. We're on what's called the Perma Tour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically do not get off the road at all for the next, I don't know, two years or something like wow. that. I'm coming right back to Europe next month. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you go to my website, there's a list of 150 dates or something.
0: Do you like, do you, do you, do you like, are you a five night a week guy or where you, you go? Yeah.
1: I got four kids at home, yeah.
0: man. We gotta play five <laughs> nights a week. Do you ever tell them that? to yeah. keep me in
1: line? <laughs> Your dad is working his ass off. Right. Can you show me some respect, son? <laughs> no, my oldest is a guitar player. And, and when he started playing at nine years old, I offered him my gig. I said, son, the day you learn my gig on guitar is the last day you got to sit in the classroom. And the first day you start making some real bread. And he, he went upstairs and practiced my song Home for about five minutes. That was the last he ever practiced any of my music. <laughs> and I found out why. I found out recently why. He told me on his 18th birthday, I was messing with him. I said, look, son, I've been offering you the deal for nine years now. Every year on your birthday, I re up the deal. I get it. If you don't like my music, I get it. You know, you never take any of my advice about the music business. He says, look, dad, the reason I don't take your advice is because I want to make the big time, okay? Oh, I said best of luck, son.
0: <laughs> Next thing you know, you're on your on the phone with the state planner going, this boy's out, <laughs> yeah, out of the will. Out of the will. Out of the will. Mark, thank you for doing this, man. Thank what an you, honor brother. and a privilege it's been. It's a pleasure, man. And thanks for having me up there last night. You throw
1: the a great... hell of a party, by the way. You throw a hell of a party. You know, thank you. Thank you. It's a damn good time.
0: The, the legend, Mark Broussard, ladies and gentlemen. you, thank you, love you.